Howdy folks, this is your host Weston Hendricks. And I'm co-host Augustus Sexton. Here on season one of this podcast, our priority is to empower you as a person, leader, operator, and customer of the livestock industry and to gain both knowledge and confidence while consuming it from industry leaders. We are both young men that strive to gain knowledge and learn from our mentors, but also the upcoming generation of this industry and what they have to offer, as well as educate our listeners on all aspects of the livestock industry. So here's to empowering you. Hope y'all enjoy. And God bless. Before we start, I'd like to talk about our sponsor, Bull Nanza Stud Services. They're located in Stillwater, Oklahoma, and Sweetwater, Texas, where it all began. They offer industry-leading services in sire collections, marketing, and storage. It's ran by the owners of Colton Thigpen and Jason Holder. If you have any bull-related questions, Bullnanza is your answer. Catch them on social media or bullnanza.com. Episode 4 of Empower You. Rick Cromwell, ladies and gentlemen. Not only have I been fortunate enough for this man to be a part of my show career, but also help me as a person and a livestock judger. Brent resides in Abbott, Texas, where he raises, but also trades some of the most elite show cattle in the state of Texas. He's a fighting Texas Aggie alumni, but before that, he was an All-American at Blinn College. He has helped so many families and become such an influential person in this industry. Banner after banner, he keeps turning up the heat, setting the bar in the American world and improving it day by day. But in this episode, we're going to do a little something different. Instead of not only talking about where he came from and how he got to the point he is today, Augustus and I want to pick at his brain a little and gain some real cattle knowledge from someone highly successful. So hope you all enjoy this episode, and here's to empowering you. You ready, Augustus? Oh, absolutely. Perfect. You ready, Brent? I'm ready, guys. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Yes, sir. Let's do this. I need, all right. I need you for my hype, man, whenever I'm going to judge a show or something. <laughs> you hey! <laughs> oh, it's like Tar said. He thinks that uh, I hyped him up a little too much, but in all honesty, y'all deserved that. Well, I don't know if we deserve it, but uh, I appreciate it, so it's all yes, good. Yes, <laughs> sir, of course. All right. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and uh, let the listeners get to know you a little bit before we get started. So uh, you pretty much nailed the last uh, 15 years of my life. Uh, I grew okay. up showing American show cattle uh, at, at the early age. We actually raised hogs uh, at a young age. My dad was an ag teacher. He was an ag teacher for 30 years. Uh, taught some very influential people. Uh, Weston Warnock, who's a vet now at Elgin Vet Hospital, showed some incredible show steers. Uh, him and Joe Rathman were actually in Bass Shop the same time Dad was teaching. So Dad taught Joe, and I got to learn from from guys like that and be around influential people uh, from an early age. We raised hogs at an early age. Um, I don't remember how many sows we partnered with our neighbor. <laughs> Obviously, that didn't uh, turn out the way it wanted to be. But, hey, we won some. I, I think we sold a pig that was reserved grant in Austin back in the day whenever uh, – uh, only a certain amount of counties could show at the Star of Texas or Rodeo Austin, whatever it's called. Uh, it was Star of Texas back then. Um, wow. Grew up showing Americans. Um, my very first American show steers came from Trader Show uh, S&S uh, Cattle in Taylor, Texas, from Charles and Kathy, Christian, Lauren, and, and their two other sons, uh, as well as um, Mr. Pierce, always showed his Brahmins early on. That's where uh, my love for the Americans uh, came from it and it will always be uh, my very first breed champion was a brahmin show steer from uh from doug and david pierce i will never forget that it was a cheap skinny calf that was actually purchased out of their sale that a young lady decided she did not want and um we uh i guess my my dad decided that we did need him and i'm glad he decided that and he was breed champion uh, that year at san antonio in 2004, under Doctor uh, uh, or under uh, Dan Hogue, uh, Mr. Hogue, uh, the original gangster of the livestock judging world, and oh, yeah. um, that was the year the Simbral won Reserve Grand Champion. It also came from Pierce. So Pierce had himself a day that day with winning the Simbrals, the Brahmins. And oh, the absolutely, Grand. absolutely, that's awesome. So yeah, yeah. so uh, Dad was the ag teacher. Grew up in Giddings. Um, 
Okay. Started raising cattle when I was about 15. We didn't have much, uh, but we kind of grew from, from a small Maine Angus herd and had a, a Brahmin bull from Hudgens on them and developed um, or bred and raised some really nice half-bloods. By the time I was a senior in high school, uh, we, we won some classes and some people uh, that are very well known today uh, showed those uh, half-bloods. And uh, they weren't probably going to be big enough for me to win a breed, so we sold them, and they won lightly classes, and they were very successful for, for those kids. And after that, I went to Blinn. I was recruited by a few junior colleges in Oklahoma and Kansas. I realized real quick that I, my passion um, for cattle was in Texas, and I wanted to stay in Texas. I had Brent Poe as a coach. Um, very fortunate to have um, someone like that in my life to put me in check, but also push me to, uh, to make me a better person, and he really did. Uh, my second year – into blend we had brandon callis who came down from i think he was in kansas state i don't really remember um but brandon moved down and um callis taught me how to just take things with stride and um and just realize you can't control everything and just be a little bit more level-headed probably breathe a little bit more through your nose and not get so worked up about things that you can't control very fortunate to have him um, in my young career as well from there, I went to AM like you talked about. Uh, Dr. Frankie was my coach there, and along with a young man named Cassidy Hayes, who's very successful at raising hogs, and Jake Thorne, who's now one of the top dogs and the sheep specialist for, for sheep and goats for Texas A&M AgriLife System. But anyways, uh, from there, uh, started buying cows early on. Uh, very first cows we bought that year were from Brandon Horn that really probably – started setting us up for where we are now. And actually Thigpen and I were um, at a the same time. And it, it's pretty fun to look back and think about the time when we were there, what we were doing and where our minds were. He had Woodrow, uh, who is very influential on his program. Uh, matter of fact, I just bought a bull that is a grandson of Woodrow, uh, Uncharted Waters, this past February. Yes, sir. We had bought – our very first uh, Brangus bull who pretty much put us on the map of raising champions and uh, his females are still the very best females we have to this day that are raised numerous um, bulls and females for our own and, and race steers that have won at major shows. And that was Southern swag. And it's just pretty cool to look back that we did that while we were at A&M and the people around and you don't know, and you don't realize at the time what you're doing. Um, you don't realize what you're accomplishing uh, but it's just funny to look back and think about, hey, that that was all there. That was that was while we were at A&M having a good time. I love that. <laughs> you and Colton go back further than I thought y'all did. Yeah, uh, it's probably not a – yeah, we had a really good time at A&M. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard some stories. I've heard some stories. Um, For sure. So – what I want to start off with is, so you kind of went over starting what put y'all on the map with Cromwell Cattle Company, um, buying some cattle from Horn, but what genetics did you hunt for and invest in to make that a successful operation? What, what, were, what were your priorities and standards? So looking back at it, I really didn't have any priorities or standards. I was just trying to be somebody. I was trying to um, let people know who I was or trying to just, I don't know, just be a young kid that uh, was just trying to be somebody. And, and I wanted to get there fast. And I learned real quick that that's not possible. Um, you know, back then in the Brangus breed, and that's very influential to our program, uh, Dogays and Timmy Luchek, and Cody Luchek had the bull called Hercules. Hercules to this day is one of the most influential brainiest bulls, in my opinion, um, for the club calf world. Raised numerous uh, show champions, raised our bull, Southern Swag, all these things. And so I, I would go to these prospect shows. I would try to be a fitter and a clipper and try to be involved some way because I didn't have enough animals or enough good animals to be relevant. And I wanted to be involved some way. So I would go out and help clip and fit. And uh, before I was able to judge a show or before I got asked to judge shows, and I would see these, these families that would show these animals. 
And uh, they came from Doge Brangus Bulls and Charlotte Cross Cows. So when I was at A&M and Horn had his very first cow sale, um, talked to Brandon, him and Horn uh, obviously go very way back. Talk about running cows and Horn go very way, uh, go way back. And yes, um, he had his very first cow sale. I'll never forget this. Um, it was something um, that was um, – before it's time, in my opinion, I didn't know what was happening when it was happening. And now every time you get on the internet, you see a cow sale of some sort, uh, selling bread, selling oats or selling, you know, bread heifers or, or bread cows or whatever it may be. And, uh, man, I don't remember. He had like 20 or 30 cows in that sale. And I'll never forget the show box ad. He had all these cows and they were, um, pictured and it was before he had white paint on his fence. That's how old, this cow cell was and you look wow. back and laugh about it because now you see it horns it's all white tight fence so we uh at that time um jake frankie uh who's my judging coach uh, also was very interested in this cow cell and um and so so were dad and i uh we got together we bought three cows we bought 614 she was a grandfather uh daughter grandfather's an old old bull horns uh, we bought 588. 588 was a hero Duff Angus, and we bought 925. 925 was a 7542 back out of 625. And if you put numbers together, 625 and 620 were full sibs to horn. So they basically bought oh, wow. a niece to 620. 588, wow. I really don't know much about what uh, horn had, but she looked like the most powerful stout white Angus you ever seen in your life. And then 614 was his grandfather um, cow that had some age on her, but uh, was really nice. Uh, that wow. year, we bought those three cows from Horn. We bought some other cows um, from uh, Dave Allen. That was the year he had his uh, his club calf dispersal. We bought some from um, some from the Summer Exchange when all those guys, Tusa, Glover, Potts, I believe, had cows together. Okay. And so that year, uh, I'll never forget, I was a freshman, maybe a sophomore at Blinn. I was a sophomore blend going to A&M. I was a freshman going to going to blend still. And we bought those cows, and we said we're going to make it work. And we went to Chris Black's. We bought a few. That's right. So long story short, um, our main focus or our main, uh, I don't know, cows come from those guys. You know, your Brandon Horn, your Chris Black uh, bought some from Dave Allen. Dave had some of the very best club calf cows that a guy could had ever seen because – they were so good, but yet he has so much emphasis on the maternal side of things that um, they were still good cows, and and we should have brought a lot more, bought a lot more than when we than what we did that day. But we spent way too much money that summer, um, but it paid off. It set the foundation for what has allowed us to be what we are today. Um, some of our main donors go back to those cows, and maybe they weren't donors for us, or maybe they were, but their daughters have been, and that's awesome. Um, but it, it's pretty cool because, you know, like that very first cow, those very first three cows from Horn, 925, the daughter, uh, the 7542 daughter, that's a niece to 620, within our first two, three years of production, back in 2012, 13, and 14, she was a 200 and something thousand dollar value cow. I mean, her first six, her first six flush mate steers to solid gold averaged 25,000. Guys, this is in 2012. Wow. That and, is incredible. Uh, that was our very first steer sale, and I was still at A&M, and I thought, I'm never getting a real job. I'm going to do this stuff all my life. This is easy. Heck, yeah. And, and then I realized real quick that um, that's not realistic. Uh, and then, you know, 588, the the hero Duff Angus cow, I said, look, look like a, looks like a stout white Angus. Um we flushed her, and I've got some of her, her females in production to this day that had one of our top-selling heifers in our heifer sale this past year. That's been 10 years ago. Uh, she raised a breed champion at Dallas probably about five or six years ago at a Django, one of our different Bringus Boulevards. And so it's just fun to look back and realize that what these cows that you started with, that you don't know what you're doing at the time. Uh, if, you, if you keep your head down and you keep your focus of what they can accomplish for you, not only at the time, but for years to come. Yes, sir. Uh, that's awesome. Definitely uh eye opener. Uh, and what you got to do is just you know, get with the right people and, and ask for advice and 
just take it as much as you can and grow. For sure. Uh, I've had my uh, rear end chewed by Brandon Horn more than anybody in my life, but uh, the fact <laughs> that a guy like that <laughs> continues to answer my phone call and, and teach me and coach me, um, I mean, he's been a big and influential person in my life that's helped me get to where I'm at today. I'm very thankful. For right. That. Absolutely. Um, so before we continue on um, focusing on your operation, I had a question for you. So I reached out to Kelton Poe, who had worked for you this previous summer, and I said, mm -hmm. hey, I, I'm about to interview Brent Cromwell. I, I, I want to know if there's a question you want me to ask that you kind of want to hear. And uh, old Kelton was like, ask him what life after judging was like. Because I got that talk, but because me and Augustus are probably going to judge in college, um, he wanted us to hear that. So, so uh, life after judging, um, it's pretty. It's difficult to explain at first, but it's actually um, awesome. So, I would be. I'd lie to you if I told you I went to college for school. I went to school to judge, and at the time that um this was happening i was uh i was focused on it completely i uh i knew that's what i wanted to do and uh i was very fortunate to be very successful uh at, at both levels all american our team was team of the year i don't know i guess my ego side says that we're national champions in junior college but we didn't win houston but we were team of the year for our coaches our coach of the year and then at A&M, uh, we had a very good run. I marked everywhere. He was very successful. So I didn't know uh, what judging, uh, what life was like without judging uh, for those three, four, five years. I judged in high school successfully. I was top ten in the state every year of my high school career. Our team was, I want to say like fifth, fourth, fifth probably. You know, didn't make the nationals, but we were knocking on the door. Um, so that's all I ever knew. And when I left A&M or I was finishing up judging, all I, all I ever thought about was judging shows. So initially, I was cool with it. Like, okay, cool. I got to go judge shows now. And so I judge shows every weekend for, you know, however many years, two weekends or two shows a weekend and three or four weekends a month. And um, that was cool and all. But uh, you don't know what to do yourself because it's uh, kind of like the NFL in the sense that the coaches put you through the gauntlet and they they do this to make you mentally tough to to push you to to the um, to make sure you can handle the pressure of being in the contest that's representing their school. Um, they push you to uh, your ends and, and try to make sure that uh, you're ready to to go to war essentially. And um, so. It was hard at first. We lost Louisville, and I did not have the very best day. Um, I joke about it, but I, I, uh, I, I was not focused that day. I should have done a lot better. But at the end of it, I didn't know what to do. Um, looking back, I wish I would have had the maturity, and maybe this is what this podcast is about, to help younger generation prepare for the next couple years or whatever it may be. But Absolutely. I, was not, I was not mature enough at the time to accept the responsibility that my coaches were um, laying on me. I, I wasn't focused. I was um, – my head was not in the game, and not from a from a evaluation or a talent or a work ethic. Uh, I outworked everybody. If you can't tell, I talk fast. Um, I've had a stuttering problem growing up. Uh, talking to people or talking in front of crowds always made me very nervous, so I stuttered a lot. I don't know why, just did. Something yes, I had sir. overcome. And, um, but I think more importantly, knowing the maturity aspect, I wish I would have been better or more prepared or had someone tell me that, hey, this is it. Relax, right. sit, down, sit down, and just know that these next six months are going to be the end of your judging career. Regardless if you get to go on and judge shows after this, this is what you've been training your entire life for and you need to take it seriously. And I probably didn't. Um, I wasn't prepared for it and from, from that aspect, and, and I regret it. So life after judging for me was tough because I felt like that I did not take full advantage of it. Now, that being said, uh, it's hard. 
because all you ever know is you wake up, you go to school, you go to practice, you get in a van with, you know, anywhere from 13 to seven people that become your family, whether you like them or you don't, you learn to respect them. And, absolutely, uh, and, uh, and that's, that's who you're around for three or four years uh, of your life. Um, especially if you go to junior college with them and then transfer to the next senior college with them as well. So life after judging, uh, was difficult at first, but it got really good. Um, I don't regret judging. I absolutely love it. I, I told, told myself early on that I'm glad I did it, but I'll never do it again. That's a complete lie. I'd, I'd do it again every day and 10 times on, on, on a Saturday. Um, because, uh, I met some of the very best people in the world. I've got friends in in Iowa that, uh, raised some of the very best show heifers that, that provide for my son now that I met through judging. I've, I've met some of the very best people um, that I never would have met if it wasn't for judging. So yes, sir. life after judging, I don't know, um, but it gets better. <laughs> That's hey, great that, advice right there. Absolutely. That are most, I'm going to just say this. Most of our listeners are college kids that are judging or uh, high school kids that are judging and, and just ag, ag kids and I think that'll definitely speak to a lot of them um but you were talking about um Hudson's uh heifer that thing is absolutely incredible the American yes sir yes sir yeah yeah she's um she's kicked out she's gonna be a cow now but you know that you bring her up is but it's funny like her grandma is one of the very first cows we bought part of the Chris Black deal and her first calf that we bred her to Southern Swag, our Brangus bull, was Hudson's heifer's mom. And so literally stuff that we did whenever I was 20 years old is having an impact on me when I'm 32 and 33 years old. And my son's getting a benefit from it. So That's awesome. Uh, I had a man offer me 7500 for her mama as a baby calf or offer my dad. And uh, I priced her a little bit higher than that. I said, we won't take any less. And looking back now, that's the best thing we ever did because that heifer's mom averaged 15000 on her first flush to Buford. She's raised our bull we promote, we call Stranglehold, that we sold in the past American sale. She raised Hudson's heifer. She raised our high-selling American heifer last year for $20,000. Um, wow. This, that's a life lesson just to know when you got something good that um, you need to hold on to it and don't just let anybody come in with a checkbook and take it away from you. Absolutely. Wow. All right, so going along with talking about females, you said when y'all are getting into the industry, how y'all were just going out and trying to find the best ones that y'all could. But now that you have an established herd, what do you look for in a female to improve your herd and raise the standards to generate those high-caliber calves that might go on and hang banners later on one day? So that's a good question, and I really feel like we're starting to see the benefit of this. Uh, last year, we raised two breed champions at the majors, one at Houston and one at Dallas, out of our first calf heifers um, and our Brangus bull, and that were their natural calves. And uh, first and foremost, uh, I wish early on I'd have done a better job of picking cattle out that were good at the ground. And I'm not saying we bought cripples. We didn't buy cripples. But what I'm saying is, um, to be more specific, big, square, good feet, okay? Uh, to this day, the steer industry has a problem with feet and joints. I think we can all agree upon that. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Part of, it, part of it comes from hot feed. Part of it comes from genetics. Part of it comes from management. It's all intertwined. So whenever we keep something back, or if we do happen to buy something nowadays, uh, the very first thing I look at is their feet, okay? okay? I want something that's very good in terms of their feet, very square, very open-toed. Uh, it's a hog term, but I want, I want toe spread, okay? They've got to be able to sit down and be comfortable. And cause we're not trimming cow's feet, all right? I don't have time to go pin oh, 838 because she's – got scissor toe and she needs to get her hoof trimmed today no we're not doing that so <laughs> big good square feet and um past that i would tell you that body shape um is very very uh important to us 
I'm not talking about depth. and I'm not talking about sweep to their flank. All that is for the birds. I don't care about that little perfect judging team word about how they've got the perfect little sweep to their flank and their underline. I don't care. I want round bodies and I want big bodies. Um, body is judged in three-dimensional, and that's called volume. And they've got to be high-volumed, round-bodied, and be depth and, and deep. And that allows them to be easy for us to maintain and not feed them very much. And yes, sir. growing up in South Texas and the majority of our cattle are, my, I don't know who have been to my dad's house or who has not, but uh, he is not a big fan of feeding animals. So they kind of have <laughs> to fend for themselves. And I'm not dogging, I'm not dogging my dad, but it's just, it is what it is. So we, easy doing comes from that. And then uh, more importantly, uh, chest tours have got to be tucked up in them. They've got to be a high tine and they've got to have an attractive, top line and hip and hind leg. And so I would tell you that majority of our keeper and our replacements have an ideal hip and hind leg or set to them. And I think that has really helped us out over the past few years and making those cows um, or making those heifers uh, potential donors for us or race champions. And I got to tell you something that Brandon Horn told me. He said, Hey, Build them like a box and make them travel, and you will succeed. Yeah, and he is the absolute very best, so you're right. So um, make them stout, make them good-footed, make them big-bodied, all those things. Uh, so, yeah, if you come and look at our replacements, we had dozen teams come um, from Blinn and a and I think they would tell you that they didn't see a bad structured one. And that's because uh, every year you try to better yourself. Every year you try to make your replacements that much better. And I'm really proud of the replacements that we have right now. Absolutely. And so in your operation, do you every year go out and try to cull off the bottom end of your cattle to raise the bar? Um, So I wouldn't say cull off. I would tell you that um, I think we did that about – five or six, seven years ago, we sold um, the bottom end or the older females. Now, um, I'll be real honest with you. I'm selling females that I know won't either progress us any further or I'll never give them the opportunity to progress us further. And I mean that in, I really like my brain is full and I know that, uh, some of the guys from up north that know me make fun of me for loving my brain schools like I do, but I don't care. I mean, they're great structured. They're awesome looking. They, they're great muscled. And um, so, I, I mean, for an example, we got asked to be a part of uh, Adam Potts's uh, revival cow sale this past summer. And immediately when he asked me, I said, yes, I've got females that you need. We sold some Americans. We sold an American that, that we've never flushed that looking back, um, her calf on the ground that we sold out of nunchucks that we bred, it looks like that we screwed up and we should have flushed her. <laughs> but, hey, that's great <laughs> for the next person. For but, sure. Yeah, for, for an example, I had a mate right 0454 female that I sold in Potts' cell. 0454 is, is a red baldy um, cow, Dustin Glover, that, I mean, is rung numerous bells. And I had this mate right 0454 she looks like a Hereford. She is a Hereford crossbred. And I've been breeding her to a Brangus bull. Now, do you really think that I'm utilizing that cow to her full potential? No. So no. I sold her because I knew I was never going to try to flush her and raise Herefords uh, at the time. Yeah, it sounded great. Hey, I'm going to raise Herefords, and this is going to be fun. Uh, well, <laughs> I don't, I'm very limited on land. I'm very limited on recips. So, no, that was never going to happen. So we sold her, and so – I wouldn't tell you the heifers or the cows that we're selling are are coals. Um, I send those to the auction barn. When they come in and and they're heifer calves, if they're not good enough for us to make a cow of them, I'm not putting them on the internet and expecting someone else to buy them. At an early age, I thought you put everything on the internet. If they sell, they sell, whatever. No, that's the absolute worst thing you can do for your cow sale or your heifer sale or your steer sale. People want quality and they're not going to buy your leftovers. And they may do it the first time, but they're not going to do it the second time. So we started 
I started selling those at the auction bar and getting rid of them. And we all have coals. Um, even, even the Godfather, um, big pen has coals and, um, he's just better <laughs> at market, marketing those coals. Than we are. <laughs> but, but no, I'm, uh, just like to tease him, but, uh, seriously, uh, we got rid of those. And so whatever we sell, we kept for a reason and we believe in them. Um, we just haven't found out or hit the perfect match for them yet. And, Maybe someone else can um, a lot easier than we can because they're more open-minded or think about things differently than what we do. But so you have mentioned uh, – y'all went over the female side, but uh, if you know me, Brent, I'm very uh, – I love the Bulls, and I'm definitely involved in them a lot throughout my week. Yep. Um, yep. You, you talked about Uncharted Waters and Stranglehold. But you've got several of those. You got Kimbo, Stranglehold, Beefy, Uncharted Waters in your lineup that you're promoting. How do those? What do those offer to the club calf world? Yeah, so I try to buy um, rays or sell semen on bulls that I think can offer something to everybody. Right. Um, you know, we don't sell semen on Kill Shot. He's our main go-to brangus bull. Uh, he cleans up all our heifers. Like I said, he had two breed champions this past year out of first calf heifers. Um, he's a bull we bought four or five years ago from Dogay uh, that now is uh, Mark Perry's Brangus. He bought out Dogay, but um, that bull is a true low birth weight option um, that stamps his cattle with a perfect hip and hind leg, and they come out very small, and as they mature – they get extremely stout, extremely powerful, and I don't know what you could ask for more out of a cleanup sire than for one to make them small and then make them stout and powerful by the time they mature and by the time they show. So, absolutely, really like that bull um, kill shot. We don't sell semen on him. Uh, we do use him every spring to clean up our heifers and then to clean up our donors in the fall, and he'll get a few extra cows sprinkled in there every once in a while beefy is a bull we own with doug mccullum and john hubbard okay beefy is a um is a half beef master out of um to my knowledge one of the most famous beef master cows to ever walk in the show ring that uh, maddox mccullum doug's daughter showed she was champion american at san antonio houston austin maybe um, wow that she, was the year she that, was incredible yeah, she won her breed and the division, you know, and that was a year of COVID where they, I think they canceled one of the overalls. Um, Beefy's her first calf. So Beefy was the calf inside of her while she won Houston. So that's pretty cool. Uh, For sure. Yeah, Beefy's yeah. out of databank. He's a purebred main bull. Um, and initially I wanted to cut him to try to go win Dallas. And I was like, come on, bro. You're not thinking through this clearly. He's a red carrier because the mom's red. He's right. low birth weight. He's half beef master. He's perfect structured. He's got nice hair. His body, his practicality, and his function is going to be awesome on these clubby Americans. And sure enough, we used him to clean up on our kill shot daughters and some of our ABC cross daughters the very first year. His first calves are weaned off and in the pens in Abbott right now. There's a red and white one that looks absolutely incredible. That would be awesome for next year for Dallas. There's a heifer that um, will make a great commercial heifer for somebody. And then there should be plenty of fallborns uh, down at John Hubbard's that um, I bet will look very good. But that bull has a place, and his place is to breed um, ABC cross females and be low birth weight and make them red and white, black, hairy, slick, whatever, and they should all be good structure, good body, and have some presence and some balance. Um, Let's see, Kimbo. Kimbo is the very first American bull we we, we promoted uh, or I promoted. Um, I bought uh, three brothers from Adam Potts that year, and they were all king of swings out of 1606. 1606 is an incredible job for Adam. Uh, Kimbo was one of those three. We sold one in our, in our steer sale. Um, he ended up getting pulled at Fort Worth and then didn't place. The other brother uh, was shown by John Hubbard's daughter, Kiki Hubbard, and she – won the ABCs that year everywhere she went from Belton, A&M, everywhere. And he was third in the middleweights at the Patriot, the makeup show for Fort Worth. And then there was Kimbo. Um, wow. Yeah. And um, Kimbo uh, 
Kimbo's had some really nice calves. Probably didn't use them as much on my end. Uh, my partner, Brant, cleaned up with him the past two years and kept some really good females. They'll be selling in his um, online uh, female sale. Um, that bull has a place as well. He makes them really stout-legged, really good-looking, those awesome hair, and, and still keeps the character in them. The other awesome. bulls, the un- Uncharted Waters, heck, I don't know. Y'all probably know more about that bull than I do. I just I've been around him quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. I just saw him as a baby on the internet and thought, wow, that's an incredible red American. Um, and just knew that I wanted to uh, own him one day if I could. And fortunately enough, we got the opportunity and, and took advantage of it. And um, I have slowly been feeding him cows for the past 45 days. And I look forward to hopefully having quite a few next year. And we're going to flush two donors um, to him and, and have some red and yellow Americans hopefully next year. So heck yeah, that's awesome. He is. Uh, you talk about flushing. It's probably pretty limited on semen because uh, yep. things not fun to collect. <laughs> yeah, he. Uh, we we uh, we sold all we're going to sell right now. We um, we're going to try them again when it cools off, and then uh, after that, okay. if, if it works out, it doesn't. If it don't, we've got enough semen for us. We'll be fine. Perfect. Awesome. Um, so it's obvious you like to invest in bulls, um, but in terms of buying them, what do you look for to make you successful? Um, so, you know, something that, um, one that you like to look at every day, cause you're the one out going out there and feed them every day or watching them breed your cows. Um, two, I mean, they've got to have the same type of feeding legs we talked about with our females is just in just need to be stouter and bolder and wider. Um, but more importantly, I like to buy, if I can't raise them, I'm only buying animals that one, I'll never breed to make, or I'll never have the opportunity to breed and make, if that makes sense. Right. So I'm only buying animals that I know I'll never get the chance to get. And, or I know that I'll never breed a cow to make that animal because in my head, I have some kind of blockage. It's not allowing me to do that, but I right. do like that animal. So whether it's a female or a bull, I, I take the same approach to it. And we all have our own ways of, of mentally blocking what we should or should not be doing when we're buying animals. And whether it may be he's out of this bull or he's out of this cow or he's this color or whatever it is, um, at the end of the day, I've come to realize that if an animal is good, it's good. And that being right. said, that does not mean that I'm going to go breed all my cows to this bull to make something like that. No, I really just go buy that one if I can afford it. And right, most of the time I can't. But uh, <laughs> when, when, given the opportunity, uh, I only buy animals that I know that I'll never, in my heart, know I'll never breed for it and or try to make it or never get the opportunity to make it. You take the same approach that Colton does, um, and I've noticed that for sure. It's probably the Aggie stuff coming out in us. Dude, you are the fourth Aggie we've interviewed so far. Y'all got to uh, make sure you uh, kind of expand your horizon there a little bit. Y'all are too yeah, close to Lubbock not to, not, to, uh, <laughs> not to interview some Red Raiders. Oh, goodness. So talking about some sales that you typically have, you have some heifer sales coming up pretty soon? So we don't have any heifer sales coming up. We uh, usually have – we used to have a, a fall-born steer sale mixed with some heifers. I've kind of steered away from that. Uh, okay. Usually we'll, we'll have a um, – what we call our holdover sale. Um, it's our, it's our uh, cattle that we get from the Midwest um, that we sell in uh, during or around Fort Worth time. This year, I haven't really decided what we're going to do. We raised quite a few uh, summer-born calves here that are mo- mostly Americans, and part of me feels like we need to have that sell during the same time um, and just offer them all. Uh, the part of me feels like we need to wait till the, love, the big, bad Lubbock weekend time and, and, and offer them during that weekend. Um, I really don't know what I'm going to do, but we usually have a sale during that. And then we always have our March 25th, 7th sale, which is usually the week after Houston sale. 
we've moved that to Abbott the past two, three years since we've built this place up here and kind of uh, took it off dad's hands to make it easier for him. But we will always have that sale past that. Oh, there's a group of consigners that put together the best, the best that we have hosted the past few times here in Abbott. We are um, going to go back to a live auction and have that here again and oh, wow. to make it bigger and better than, than it ever has been uh, this awesome. next year. So that, that'll be good. And then for sure, then our heifer sale is in June. We usually have about, you know, 15 to 25 American heifers that we offer every June, just depending on the calf crop in the, in the year. And it's looking like it's going to be closer to that 25 than it is that 15 this year, based off all the heifers we're having. <laughs> wow. You and Colton are in the same boat. <laughs> one thing you had mentioned is about you going in the Midwest and buying some of those cattle. One thing I wanted to learn from you is how do you go about finding those calves and getting those deals and getting them down to Texas and in the right homes? Um, so the, the Midwest is, is a very fun um, stretch of, of sales or gauntlet, uh, you could say, because you're on the road out there for a week at a time and you're just blowing and going. I've learned to meet some of the very best people in the country and, that are up there and going to look at their operations. And it's just fun to go up there and see what they breed for and what they breed to and, and what the outcome is. And um, it's just so different. Um, what they like and what works for them is completely different. What we usually like and what works for us, but everything has a, has a place, right? So they will first and foremost, the online sale platform has made it very easy to, to go see where you need to go. Right. You just log on the computer and go, well, Hey, this guy in, you know, Fontenelle, Iowa has a good sale. This guy in Des Moines has a good sale. This guy in Searsboro, this guy in wherever. And you just kind of get in the car and you, and you go, I mean, Hey, they're not going to turn you down. They want your money. You know, they, they want you right. to get and buy. So Absolutely. they're not going to turn you down from coming to look at. So, um, but no, we've gotten to meet some of the very uh, best people out there. And, um, you know, you buy them for the most part, those guys are very good to work with. Um, they allow you to keep them up there uh, until we get through with Dallas and get through with all this stuff that we have this time of the year. And then they allow us to go up there and pick them up, obviously pay for them and then bring them down here. And, um, you know, it's still hot down here. It's cold off the past few days, but it's about to get hot again. Um, it's yeah, so, 93 this weekend. Yeah. Good luck growing hair for those winter County fairs in Fort Worth looking like, but you know, but seriously, uh, we bring them down here and, and we just take it easy and we break them and just kind of watch them for a minute. There's not really a big rush because realistically there's not a family out there that wants to buy their Fort Worth or San Antonio steer October 16th or October 17th, a year and a half before they're ever going to show it. So you get them in and you take your time and you watch them and, and whatnot. And you kind of realize that, Hey, that there's a calf in in this group that will work better for, for you, Weston and and, and Sweetwater than it will for another guy, Bob in in South Texas. So long story short, um, you kind of just you, you get them in and and you just watch them and see what works best for the for, for the climate. So I don't know if I really answered your question, but to be real no. honest with you, it's it's oh, that, really easy. You yeah, log that, on online and you just go look. For sure, uh, Colton's gotten into that a little bit, and I've enjoyed watching it. <laughs> it's made him nervous too. It's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, um, my only piece of advice is go look at them in person. Um, okay. And that's any advice. If you're going to buy online, just go look in person. Right. Of course. Um, so coming from that, talking about breeding and trading, but what does the future hold for Cromwell Cattle Co? Because you re- you had um, talked about how you kind of took some of the things off your dad's hand. Um, what's the future hold and what should we expect? Uh, expectations are that uh, we're never going to offer – a product that uh, we don't feel proud to to stand behind or offer. Um, but the future holds is really truthfully, I've been doing this for, for 12, 15, 20 years for this time in my life for my kids. Um, for sure. This is, this has gotten fun for me now that, you know, my son's five and I know he still has three or four years until he starts showing, but 
it's my mentality of wanting to go beat everybody and when a show has completely changed it hey i'm stacking up and keeping females and making breeding decisions um for my son's first year showing in three years from now and um and so really and truthfully uh, we're going to offer cattle every year uh but i'm doing this for my kids this is for them uh, i'm i'm not doing this to 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 have an ego i'm not doing this to try and beat this person i'm not doing this to try and raise the highest selling steer ever or american or whatever it may be i'm just doing this for hudson and blair and and uh, and for our family and, and to make my dad proud that's the future and whether whether or not we achieve that we're going to be proud by, proud regardless so there's definitely something to be proud of with that said for sure that one thing that i wanted to ask you is how do you deal with disappointment whether a mating doesn't go the way you wanted it to or a calf comes out of heifer and you're hoping it was a steer a calf gets third in his class and you were thinking he was going to win how do you deal with that disappointment <laughs> um, the saying uh, be a, a good winner but be a better loser um, maturity uh, yeah. helps you with that um, you can ask Weston this past summer at one of the shows he was not very happy and explained to him why we got beat and um, and you don't have to like it, and you don't even have to agree with it. Right. You have to accept it and move on. And um, and so we've been beat numerous. We've been beat more times, um, tenfold than we've ever won anything. Um, but I've learned that the relationships that you build with the people that you're involved with mean a lot more than that banner, that trophy, that buckle, or that placing. Um, I've got to be around some of the absolute very best kids and families and ag teachers and, and agents that are out there. And I'm very fortunate and blessed. They allow us to be a part of what they're trying to achieve. And yeah, it stinks. Um, whenever you get beaten, you're third, you, you know, I mean, last year I really thought we had the calf that was going to get a piece of Dallas and, you know, it didn't happen. It is what it is. And then this year we take a calf with another family that wasn't even supposed to go to the show and he's reserved grand. And, right. and, and so, I mean, you got to just roll with the punches and pick your head up and quit feeling sorry for yourself and just go and try and be better. Um, I mean, there's been plenty of times where I thought, man, we shouldn't got beat and that, Hey, I know more than that judge does. And that judge doesn't know what he's talking about, or she doesn't know what she's talking about. But at the end of the day, they, they kind of do. They were asked for a reason. Uh, someone thought they knew what they're talking about. And, you know, taking for an example, we go to Kansas City this past week. The, the toughest, if not one of the toughest deer shows in the country by margin. I mean, it's unreal how tough that show is. Yes, sir. But it's also eye-opening to see how different the cattle are that do well up there. You know, we're sitting here looking at humpies and Brahmins and Americans and slick shear cattle, and we better have big backs, big you-know-whats, and perfect feet and legs. And, you know, we give, we give up structure a little bit to get this extra shape, or we do this. And it's the exact opposite up there. But it doesn't mean that those cattle aren't any good. It just means that, that they like them different than we do, and that's okay because those cattle perform differently up there. And I'm not saying that – that we should like them like that. I'm just telling you that it takes, it's different strokes for different folks. And um, so I think at times when you get beat, um, you've got to take a step back and look in the mirror and go, Hey, it's going to be all right. Let's move on. You know, as far as the bull, uh, bull coming out of heifer or whatever it may be, I'm going to tell you right now, I have some of the absolute very best heifers ever raised this year. I'm very fortunate and very blessed for it. And they're out of our very favorite donors. And, man, I wish they were bulls so bad. But <laughs> I sit there, and I ride around the pasture with Hudson, and I'm just thinking to myself that, hey, these are going to raise his steers. So it's right. okay. So uh, I don't I don't look at it like that. I, I used to. I used to when I was, you know, early early on and in, in, in trying to do this and thought that every single one of them needed to be bulls or needed to be steers. And um used to get disappointed. But looking back now, you know, if it wasn't for some of those – 
females coming out females, we wouldn't have some of the animals or some of the champion champions that we do today. And so I, I don't even think about it like that anymore, to be honest with you. They're, they're all valuable. You just got to look at it uh, the right Absolutely. way and, and see the value. Through all of this, talking about your growing up and judging and now with breeding cattle and taking your operation on through all this, who were your biggest mentors and people that helped you get to where you were today? And I have something to add to that. What advice can you give Weston, myself, and all the people listening to look for as a mentor and not get guided in the wrong direction? Uh, first part's easy. Second part uh, could be challenging uh, due to the fact <laughs> that, um, you know, at the time uh, you don't really know who you're around or what they can do, but we'll get to that. So uh, my mentors, um, I'd be um, first and foremost, I'd have to say uh, my dad, um, maybe, um, you know, now I always get along or, you know, if those that know us have been around us know that we can dang sure um, have our differences in opinions, but more importantly, I've, never been around somebody that has given uh, myself um, more um, belief. I've never been around um, someone that has ever never doubted me, you know, when young into this, you know, game that we started playing, he uh, pretty much just let me take the reins and, and go at it. And he never better than I, whenever I had some crazy idea, he never, said that, hey, that's we shouldn't do this. And, and if he did, I probably didn't listen, and we still did it my way. And, and then he told me, I told you so later on, but it'd have to be my dad because, simply put, he just he's always been there and been the most supportive person I've ever been around in my life. So for sure my dad. Uh, second, um, there's a lot of people um, that you could look up to from a track record perspective. Um, but I would say that very few combine that with trying to be a good person. And although he's, you know, he can have his little witty comments and smart aleck here and there, but I'd say uh, Brandon Horn is someone that I've always looked up to and respected and, and tried to be liked from whether it's raising quality people, raising a family like he has, an awesome family, um, but more importantly, just doing what's right and um, call him in the mornings on my way to work. And I know he's out feeding cows and we just talk about what to breed, what to and or what to do in this particular um, particular, you know, period and time of my life whenever I had a dilemma or a choice to be made. And he was always there for me. So dang sure had to put him in there. And then third, um, the, the the people that have been around this industry um, know him very well, um, but I would say Charles Schrader. Um, Charles Schrader is the smartest human being I've ever met in my life. Um, not just cows. I'm talking about anything and everything. And uh, he, along with his son Christian, who's like a brother to me, um, practically raised me. I grew up 30 minutes from there, and and they taught me more about you know, what good cows were, um, and livestock judging and, and the history of anything and everything of all cows. Um, so those three, uh, men, I would say without a doubt are three that I looked up to. And, you know, to answer your second question, I, I would say that I was pretty fortunate enough to have the right people in my corner, um, to steer me straight. Um, yes, sir. The right people in my corner to that cared enough about me to make sure that I didn't uh, screw up too terribly bad. Because let's just face it, you're young. You're gonna you're gonna do things that you know you're gonna look back and go, man, I probably should have done that that time. Yes, um, sir. So um, I would just tell you that the people you you hang around. Um, you know, they need to be people that, that, that make you proud to be around them. And the old saying, you run with dogs, you, you get fleas. Um, 
is more important as it as it ever is as you get older. And you know, I'm very fortunate enough to be around great guys that are around my age. You know, whether it's Colton or it's Kirby or it's a Brandon Embry, you know, whatever it may be, these guys that are that are doing well and and, and being successful. Not I'm not talking about cattle. I'm just talking about life in general. Um, yes, I think so often um, kids in this industry want to go judge. After they're done judging, they want to go be a judging coach or they want to go um, sell some kind of pharmaceutical or sell feed. Um, there's so much more to life than, than judging. There's so much more to life than selling feed, selling pharmaceuticals. Um, surrounding yourself with the right people is what – it's all about, and I'm very fortunate enough to be able to have those people in my corner. So I don't really know how to tell you, but just be a good be a good judge of character, and just make sure it's someone that you uh, that your mom and dad would be proud that you're hanging around with them. I guess. Absolutely, oh, absolutely. That's high quality advice. But leading to that, I want to hit a pinpoint. I, I've done this um, with every episode, but I want you to name possibly three to four of your favorite moments uh, within Cromwell Cattle Company or outside, whether it was a banner hung or a cafe created or a business opportunity that you were offered. Oh, man. I, I know you got a few, but probably more than three or five, but just narrow it down. Oh, man, I don't know. Um, I would tell you that um, our reserve grand at Denver with uh, Jagger Horn years ago um, to this day is one of the most awesome experiences I've ever witnessed. Didn't raise a calf. I mean, I think I owned the calf for maybe 30 days, if even that, but, and it, it didn't even help do anything throughout the year, but I bought him from my, one of my very best friends in California, Ferris Simon off of his word that he had in his sale. I said, Hey, what calf does do I need? Like, which one can win? He told me, and I did it. So the trust part of that, to me, I'll never forget. And then, two, the trust that Brendan Horn bought that calf for me, sight unseen, and then kept them around for Jagger to show, and then was fortunate enough to be reserved ran at Denver, will be one that I'll never forget. Wow. Um, that one. Um, was that Jagger's 2020 reserve? Yes, sir. It was a black okay. steer. I don't remember what his name was or, or, or what if Jagger even named him, but he's a black here I am, um, I-80, that Jim Hire raised in California that sold through Ferris Simon's sale. And um, I bought him. And the, the funny part about that night, the night I bought him, um, he got delivered. And the night he got loaded out, uh, it was a thunderstorm, and I'll never forget, I had to lead the calf to the highway to get loaded on the truck to go to horns because we didn't have a driveway and you couldn't drive in our driveway because the mud was so bad. And I'm oh sitting here my. losing this 700 pounds to steer, uh, hoping he doesn't get away and get on the road, um, to get to Anson. <laughs> so they all have funny memories. Uh, that one for sure. Uh, I can't lie and say that this past, uh, Dallas isn't one that's special because, um, the young lady that shows the calf is as close to a daughter um, that I have besides my own actual daughter. Um, that calf was never meant to go to Dallas. We made a decision as a group and as a team to, to take him there, and we pushed that calf to his absolute limits. He looked awesome, and I'm so proud of the way that that young lady showed, and I'm so proud of the way that calf looked. And to me, that one's going to always be special. Um, and, and I, I guess, uh, Styles Patton getting a reserve grant at San Antonio a few years ago, um, has got to be one that will always be with me just for the simple fact that that family, uh, took my word and bought a steer and that calf got beat so bad throughout the year is unreal. And it was just like head boggling and head scratching of why this calf got beat so many times. And at the biggest shows and even like the most smallest shows, he got beat and they never gave up. They never gave up and they take him to San Antonio and we knew he looked good. And we were fortunate enough that the calf did what he was supposed to do. 
Styles killed it in terms of showing, and we're fortunate enough to walk away with the reserve grand honors. And, and it means a lot to me because they were one of the very first families to ever believe in our program and buy one from us that did some winning um, and didn't quite get the job done. And it just felt like that it was coming full circle then, that it was time that maybe it didn't happen that very first time, but it happened this time and karma came through and, and, and it worked out. So I'd say those three for sure. Um, those three wins will always be some of the most memorable wins um, to, to this date for me. Absolutely. True success. And finding the right families to, to get those calves to the end point is always a good goal to have. Um, but you, you go over all the success you've had. Um, I want to ask you for the listeners, what's the best advice you can give for the upcoming club calf producers uh, in their headspace and making decisions to, to get to that successful point with families and connections? I don't know if I'm where I want to be yet, but um, uh, do what's right. Do yes, what, you're, what, what you tell somebody you're going to do and, and, and always keep your word. And just be honest with people. It's not always going to work out. And the right. people that you want to associate yourself with know that it's not always going to work out. And they know that it's livestock and you can't control them and what happens. So the people you want on your team know that, hey, this could possibly not work out. Right. But they're also dreamers enough to realize that, hey, it could possibly work out as well. So um, just do what you tell somebody you're going to do and stick to your word and just never stop learning. I mean, I don't care who you are, never stop learning. Absolutely. What is a favorite quote that you go by or Bible verse? And we try to base this podcast off of the good Lord and, and his blessings that he's gave us in life. Um, Definitely, I'm just going to throw this out there. Brent has been a blessing in my life. Uh, God put him in my senior year for a reason. I know he did, but um, I want you to maybe pinpoint a favorite quote or Bible verse that you go by um, that's helped you. So um, my favorite uh, would be Isaiah 41.10. Um, pretty simple. Fear not, for I am with you. And uh, I truly believe that, you know, um, I'm not going to tell you that I'm the holy roller, Bible thumping person because I'm not. I God has blessed me in so many different ways, and I'm so fortunate that He, you know, He my put my wife in my life at the time that He did. He has blessed me with two incredible kids. He's blessed me with a great career. Um, I don't deserve half the things that He's blessed me with. Um, but you know, at times that I'm, I'm thinking to myself, Hey, how am I going to get this done? What am I going to do next? Fear not. Love that. Take, take steps of faith. Yep. So, um, we ask this question in every episode and, uh, it's crazy because I've had so many people that have, you know, after listening, tell me, Hey, this is my perspective, or this was my perspective on it. And it's, it, it's truly empowering for me to, to hear that. But Brent, I want to know what empowers you as a person, a caretaker or an operator to be better than who you were before. My kids and my wife, uh, my family, and uh, just knowing that no matter what, you did last year what you accomplished year before that you can always do better um i mean i just want to be the very best possible dad and husband i can be and then past that these cows come second um i want to be the very best possible uh manager for for farm bureau and and for my agents and i want to be just the best man that i can be to anybody and it's taken me a long time to grow up and I'll be the first one to admit I've, I'm nowhere near where I need to be. Um, but I just, uh, 
I just try to do better every day because uh, I'm a big believer in karma and she always wins and you always got to do what's right. And so I would just say that what my biggest driving force is basically what your question is, is my kids and my family. I love that. Well, we always end out with the good scripture that Augustus finds daily. Um, and I appreciate that from Augustus as well. But uh, Augustus, why don't you read us our scripture for the episode and then we'll wrap this thing up. Yes, Bring it sir. On, brother. This comes to us from Nahum 1.7. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. Honestly, that refers to, to Brent's scripture a lot as well. Yeah. Yes, sir. So it does. Well, look, guys, I I appreciate y'all too for having me on. I apologize that I have been hard to uh, to get a hold of and deal with. Um, I I run myself too thin, but I really appreciate what I and what I want to do is applaud you two uh, gentlemen for for doing what you're doing. I think it's great. Um, maybe you could venture out besides having Aggies on here. Maybe you could uh, venture out besides uh, Thigpen and myself. But what I'm saying is y'all have got got a good thing going, and y'all don't need to quit. And uh, just keep it going. Keep the world first and keep the rest going. I appreciate that, Brent. It's just like you said, keep learning no matter who it is and take steps of faith. There you go. Empower you. There's more to come. Make sure that you follow Empower You on Facebook and Instagram so that you can stay up to date on new episodes that are coming out, merch drops, and merch giveaways. Thank you all for tuning in. We appreciate all the support.